free the flounder. done it again we've sidetracked ourselves and i need another drink um before we begin the show my neurons fire on a regular basis virtually anything i guess it's fucking night rider again you have scare glow three two one whoa 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 before we start the podcast properly just want to give you guys a heads up that we're going to be moving our episode release date to thursday it's just going to work out better for me in terms of editing the show given the changes in our schedule school year starting yada 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 so bear with us and thanks so much for listening and now i return you to the show hello and welcome to the latest episode of max and jason watch a movie and talk about a television show jason and i'm max and again this week we will be tackling Masters of the Universe Revelation, starring, well, directed by Kevin Smith, creator, uh, story editor, writer of some episodes, starring Chris Wood as He-Man, Sarah Michelle Gellar as Tila, Lena Headey as Eva Lynn, Mark Hamill as Skeletor, Tiffany Smith as Andra, Diedrich Bader as Trapjaw, Liam Cunningham as Man-at-Arms, and Susan Eisenberg as the Sorceress. Oh, sorry, there's more. To, there's, there's more. <laughs> Justin Long as Roboto, Griffin Newman as Orko, Kevin Michael Richardson as Beastman, Henry Rollins as Tricops, Stephen Root as Cringer, Adam Gifford as Vicar, who the fuck is that? Dennis Habert, Habert as King Grayskull, Jay Tavar as Wondar, Alan Oppenheimer as Mossman, and Cree Summer as Priestess. Those folks won't be in this episode that we cover, which will be discussing episodes three and four of Masters of the Universe Revelation. Last week, you were telling a funny story that somehow got chopped up in the editing, and I, I, I didn't have time to go back and recover it from the original recording, you had talked about the mental drama you experienced when you saw Faker. And I kind of want you to tell the story of, of Faker if you want to. I, I I can definitely do that because we had discussed Faker being a factor in the first episode of, of this series. And I have to say, it's one of the bizarre uh, moments of my life uh, for listeners. Before we started recording, I was bragging about the activity of my neurons and just how 
how effective they still were as as 50 approaches. But I do not remember owning Faker as a figure. So in preparing for last week's episode, Faker, Faker, who, who the hell's that? I looked it up and this is a figure that not only I had, but that I used at, at, at extensively when I would play with He-Man figures because he was basically, you know, in kind of this cheap way. He was He-Man, you know, the, the same mold, only he was blue and he had an orange version of Skeletor's armor and an orange power sword. And it was really a blast from the past uh, to do that research and kind of feel old. <laughs> well, it was funny because you you would, you were like, who's Faker? And and you were, you were regaling me with this story. And then you were like, oh my God, not only did I have this figure, it was one of my favorites. And I, and it had, it had escaped my, my memory, and which is strange too, because Jason has cycled back those cycled back to those ancient neurons and given us a lot of, a lot of He-Man lore from the mini comics, but Fakor slipped through the syn- synapses, it, it seems. And I, I failed you audience. It won't happen again. I, 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 I cast skeptical glances hither and yon. <laughs> so on this episode, like I said, we're covering episodes three and four of Masters of the Universe Revelation. And I will do what I did last week. I will read the title of the episode. We will discuss that episode and whatever else comes to mind. Jason and I are prone to tangents. As he said, 50 approaches. <laughs> and anyway, so the title of episode three of Masters of the Universe Revelation is The Most Dangerous Man in Eternia. On Eternia. That's what it should be, probably. Anyway, while defending a village from Triclops's cult, Tila meets Man-at-Arms, who is struggling to keep Orko alive with the uh, audience. I'm having trouble reading my own handwriting here. Uh, with the town's magic water. Uh, that's the That's what's going on in this episode. Sidebar of Super Trivia. Uh, as with the last week's episode, I'm going to tell you when the figures or the characters in the show came out. Without further ado, Merman came out in the year 1982. He was part of Wave 1. Orko, much later, 1984, uh, Wave 3. Roboto, 1985, Wave 5. The figures were starting to get a little more gimmicky. And so endeth the super trivia for Masters of the Universe Revelation, Episode 3. There's some good action beats in this episode. What 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 struck you about this this one, Jason? What leaped out at you? I guess is what I want to say. In the early beats of this episode, and and not not all the way through, all the way through, but in the early beats of this episode, and and I guess what I want to kind of say, and I, I I did mention this in the last episode. There's a very interesting aspect to what and I don't know if it was what Kevin Smith did. Uh, I'm sure he listens to these podcasts. He can weigh in. Uh, Kevin Smith, if you're listening, we would love to interview you but the the first two episodes are very shakespearean they're all about drama they're all about relationships and then beginning with episode three we kind of moved to kind of this homerian uh homer meaning the iliad the odyssey the quest the quest i mean one could also say kind of tolkien like but i think we're more in homer territory because eventually we're going to get to the land of the dead we're going to get to the elysian fields we had mentioned this uh before Mm -hmm. but for the first part of this episode, we're almost in, uh, dare I say, Western kind of yeah. mood. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do see that, yeah. We're, we're also kind of, this is the episode two that sort of helps. We've been given the quest in the last episode, and this this episode is Tila and Evil Lynn and Andra sort of gathering their team. This is, this is sort of what this is, to, to go undertake the journey to Subternia, and then yes. hopefully the journey to Paternia. It's a 
necessary episode in this early vignette is is them picking up Duncan, Man at Arms, and seeing where he's at. We we catch up with him. We've already caught up with Evelyn. We've caught up with Tila and Andra, and we know that Man at Arms is such an integral part of the Masters universe that he's got to figure in some way. This is also <laughs> an important moment for Tila because she's still mad at Duncan, her stepfather, I guess. Yes, foster father, maybe. I guess foster father would be what it, it is. But she's still a little bitter. She's still carrying that chip on her shoulder about being lied to by to every, by everybody. But when we meet our heroes, we're kind of getting this vignette of Tila and Evelyn and Andra chomping their way through this forest and they're kind of telling stories and we get this little flashback. I think that this happens in a lot of the episodes where Tila is telling Andra or something about her past. In this case, she's telling Andra about something that happened in her past with He-Man where they fought Merman. And this ends in this really funny vignette where He-Man and, and Man-at-Arms and Tila defeat Merman and Skeletor and Beast-Man and all of them with some ease. And at the end of it, He-Man says, you're all wet, Skeletor. And then the, the scene cuts. It, it kind of pauses on He-Man in, in mid-power pose. And Andra says, he, what, he really said that? He said, what? And, and then that's when we get a little insight from the bad guy's perspective on Man-at-Arms because Evil Lynn quite admires Man-at-Arms. There's a lot of other interesting things happening here. There's there's the discussion of the past. There's We're getting a, a sense that Man-at-Arms is a very dangerous fighter, but we're also getting a lot of little jibes and hints about interrelationships between Evil Lynn and Skeletor, Tila and He-Man. Go on. I'm sorry. I, I What did you think of this vignette, this opening vignette? Well, I mean, I mean, for starters, and actually this is what I would like to linger on about this particular scene, because this is what actually hit me as I watched it. You know, at Max and Jason watch a movie, we want to review film and television for everybody, you know, regardless of what you think in your personal life. But at the same time, we do not want to to to, to kind of shy away from what some people have found controversial, or what some people have loved, and this kind of thing. We want to be able to comment on that. And actually, the thing that hit me was that this flashback to have this, this action scene of He-Man kind of gives the lie to the critique of this series that, well, there's not enough He-Man, you know, that, you know, that they, that they killed He-Man off and, you know, Tila's the main character and, and, and that's just what this whole thing is about. And that's not really true because this scene is, could have been cut directly from, uh, maybe not from the cartoon, yeah, yeah, from our memory of the cartoon. Yes. How we would have wanted the cartoon to look, you know, had we written it or directed it. Yeah. Uh, and Kevin Smith, who is our age, again, you know, pushing against 50 or more. I think yeah. us, I'm not sure. Actually, I don't know what how old Kevin Smith is. But to me, this this flashback, this little vignette, this as you called it, this this little action scene gives us a chance to see He-Man and Tila interact. Now, those of us that saw the old cartoon, and those of us like you that watch it regularly, even today, yeah. you know, you know, we remember what that interaction was like. Mm -hmm. One of the brilliant things about this cartoon is that this cartoon was built for lovers of the show, yeah. people who know the He-Man mythology. But if you don't, if you don't, if you just want to see a good story, if you just like fantasy, but you never got into He-Man, Master of the Universe wasn't your thing, here's, here's a glimpse that you deserve of what life was like before Tila lost her faith in the mission of Eternia. And that's what I thought this scene was about. Oh, I think that that's absolutely right. It works wonderfully. Oh, you're 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 absolutely right. So 
So after we get the boat vignette where they, they dispatch Merman and Evil Lynn and Skeletor, a lot of great cheesy lines from that that the, the could have been pulled right out of the 80s show. But then we get to the, we cut to the present where Evil Lynn and Tila and Andra are talking about basically their relationships. Like Evil Lynn talks about how he, uh, how Man in Arms was the most dangerous man in Eternia. And, you know, gosh, you know, if uh, things were different, I might have, she basically said I might have uh, taken a crack at him myself. Myself. Wait, he actually said you're all wet? <sighs> He-Man had the sense of humor of a teenager who didn't get out much. <sighs> He-Man was a glorified goody-goody. <clears throat> now man at arms. He was always the real threat. I told every snake mountaineer time and again that he was the most dangerous man in all of Eternia. And then she tells Andra, she says to Andra, you know, don't don't waste your time on on bad, dangerous men. You can't change them. They're only in it for them. It's almost very mature writing about relationships and about insights into the men that these women are interested in. And, and then Tila says, this is one of my favorite lines in this episode, where Tila says, don't take any advice from Evil Lynn on men. She's the one with the Skeletor in her closet. And then Evil Lynn has her own jab, and she's like, but I'm not the only one pining for someone, am I? Now, folks, I read a horrific thread of comments at superherohype.com because I was looking up pictures of the second wave of the new He-Man action figures and most of the comments were negative and they were saying that the film is that the show is woke trash and they were lamenting that women would never be allowed to be feminine again whatever the fuck that might mean but this show Kevin Smith is doing more to establish romantic relationships and interests you know fairly average normal heterosexual relationships, they're doing more to imply that Tila is in love with He-Man slash Adam than the show, the 80s show ever did in history. Like, Tila Tila would say, Tila never even flirted with He-Man that, that obviously in the old show, in part because I think that the, the show always walked on eggshells around parents groups in the 80s, like... Oh, right, right. You know, so they, they didn't really try to do much. And it's 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 almost not even hinted that Tila has a romantic interest in, in He-Man or Adam. But in this show, we get the sense that Tila is actually in love with Prince Adam. I, I think that that's where it's going. And so I'm I'm kind of I don't know what is wrong with these people who are making these charges about He-Man, other than they're worried that He-Man was going to get turned into She-Ra, which if the writing's good, I wouldn't have cared about that either. But... Well said. Well said. Well said. Well said. And so, so like, what is unfeminine about these women at the part of this part of the story. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what can be meant by the quest for femininity. I mean, uh, if if I was to try to understand what they were saying, mm -hmm. um, then I would I would suggest that they were probably thinking in terms of this kind of archetypical Greek kind of story mm -hmm. where every character is more of an archetype than an actual character. And now, you know, I love Greek mythology. Yeah. That, it's not that I'm against that kind of storytelling. I love that kind of storytelling. Yeah. But in the post-Shakespearean universe, we, and especially as heirs of Shakespeare, we modern people are used to well-drawn characters, yeah. have complicated 
motivations, complicated, excuse me, uh, complicated experiences, yep. things about themselves that they don't understand. Yep. And I think that this show does that very well because I, I agree with everything that you've just said. But if somebody sat me down and, and, and asked my nearly 50-year-old neurons to process what I think Tila's real romantic attachment is, my reply would probably be, gotta wait and see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure she knows. I agree with what you said. Yeah. I agree with what you said. I, I see the connection to Adam, yeah. a ship that might be a little bit more. There's the whole, uh, she she idolizes He-Man, yeah. as, as everyone does, including fans of the show. She idolizes him. But now she's at a, a moment in her life where, well, I idolized him, but that was all a lie, and I'm not sure what to do with that. There's a lot of complicated stuff going on that is beyond mythology. Yeah, and absolutely. I, and again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that that mythological storytelling is bad. It's very valuable. That's not what we're doing here. That's I think. Well, I think you're you're right, and I think you're giving some of these these people a lot more credit than than they deserve. My concern is that what I think I'm hearing is that. A, He-Man's not the star of the show driving all the action. B, the women aren't sexy enough for the viewers of the show. That's what I think is going on for the most part. They're not They're not wearing skimpy outfits. They're not wearing cleavage-revealing things. You, 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 I mean, I, I get a lot of that from these comments. You, you uh, I've not read the comments. Yeah. You might be right. I'm a sucker for a great story. I'm a sucker for character. I'm, I, I don't want to use the word sucker. This yeah. is stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess what I would suggest is that this is the kind of storytelling where, and in fact, I guess what I would say to those people as a an offering, that I would suggest to them, you know, if that's your perspective, but, but here, here you have human beings. Yes, they're on Eternia. Yeah. You know, this is all fantasy. But these are people having experiences and they're reacting to those experiences in a way that is very familiar. And, and even if you don't like what you see for political reasons, Reasons, I would suggest to you that th these are people that are reacting to the world the same way that you would. Like if you were in their shoes, you're not in their shoes, so you react. So you react to the world differently. Yeah. What is what I would say? Um, I think that what's brilliant about this particular program is that it it does provide us with flesh and blood characters who react to each other in very realistic ways. They get angry at each other, disappointed yeah, yeah. in each other, but they never lose that core loyalty that drove them in the first place because they actually love each other? I mean, isn't that what life is actually like? Well, I mean, I think that that's all right. And 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 the other thing, too, that I think this, this series does really well is that it filters a lot of that through the lens, not perfectly, uh, in terms of absolute silliness uh, of that filmation show. As I said, and I think in the last episodes, I mean, like, this is a more mature telling of that, that core world building that happened in the mini comics and in the old show, but that's, that's done in a compelling way. I mean, like my wife cannot at all watch the filmation show. Nope, not going to happen. And I asked her, I said, what did you think of the show? Like, uh, as somebody who isn't a He-Man fan, I mean, like,
like, is this something that anybody could get into? And she was like, oh, it's infinitely better than the old show. Because, I mean, the old show was written for people who were in fourth or third grade or second grade or yes. even younger, you know? And this is a more mature telling of those of those tales. Writ- written by somebody who digested the show. Absolutely. And whose imagination was tickled by it. Absolutely. Which is how we're reacting to it as well. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely right. So I, I kind of want to I kind of want to get that out of the way because I just I I was baffled by that response to this show. Like uh, this, these the women here act more uh, like real women than the old show ever depicted. I mean, everybody was a cardboard cutout. You know, everybody was a cardboard cutout in the last show. Even I mean, no, the men as well. Absolutely, everybody. So yeah, I I don't I don't see that. And these these women aren't. There are other women in the court. Marlena, for instance, uh, a lot of the other women who are standing around in the court who look like normal people that don't look like they're geared for fighting. But that's not these women. These women are part of, I mean, Andra and Tila are now mercenaries. Tila used to be a soldier. Evil Lynn is uh, an evil warrior, you know? Uh, so so it makes sense to me that these women would look more like, like athletes than not, than svelte runway models with heroin chic physiques. You know what I mean? Or porn model physiques, whatever it is. So, so, what, so what I would caution viewers like, hey, this isn't for the male gaze this is for every gaze and if what you're after is is he-man porn don't worry there's an army of nerds who are going to convert some of these images to that and upload it to Pornhub and you'll you'll have that too it's like you were saying last week we can yeah. have all of these stories if we just wait a little while no i <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think it would be used that way, but but no. I see. I I, I agree with that, and I also think I I do believe. I, I do believe. You know, the mission of this podcast, which is to talk about you know character development and capturing capturing human interaction, whether in animation or uh, through the use of a a digital or film camera. Yeah. Uh, that th- that you know what we talk about is capturing the human story and real characters. That that resonate with all of us. And I guess what I would suggest to people, uh, you know, the, you know the, the, the internet trolls that you're talking about, yeah. if, if any of them have stayed with us this far, I would say to them, you know, if you watch this show, you will see people that you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and what I would suggest, I mean, I, I like them. Yeah. Maybe you don't have to, but you will see people reacting to yeah. each other in a very real way. And yeah, spend some time with that. Yeah. Spend some time with that. Uh, it might change you. It might not. But you, but it will certainly give you information. It will certainly give you, you know, some some ability to reflect on uh, the human condition. I mean, look, I'm, I'm I'm talking in very highfalutin terms. Yeah. yeah. This cartoon, but I think it's worthy of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Max and I usually do a, a, a verdict at the end, and we're not done. So I mean, I'm only talking about episode three so far, but. But to this point, everything that we have talked about, uh, if you've watched it, if you haven't watched it, if you stayed with us, if you're listening to what we're saying, I think that um, we've made a very good case that this is very strong character development. These, these are real people that you can decide for yourself what you think of them. Yeah, yeah. If you are opinions, you come up with your own, but don't dismiss this show. Yeah, I think I think <clears throat> if you can, you know, if you're somebody who liked the show, but you're you're catching shit from your uh, friends who criticize as woke you know share us with them and 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 i would say take off those blinders uh 
Yes. That worry about wokeness all the time. Because uh, and ask yourself a little bit what wokeness really means. Because I don't. I, I think that I think that it's a very reactionary position to take. Uh, you know, where you're always wondering if something's woke. Who gives a shit about that? Is it a good story? Are the characters compelling? Do you feel for the drama that they go through? Now, maybe maybe you don't go there with this film. Maybe maybe this film doesn't do it for you. This show doesn't do it for you. But don't don't carry those blinders with you when you when you look at yeah. a show and so anyway audience if you are on the fence about watching the show give it a shot i just kind of wanted to go there a little bit because I, i'm bothered by that that perspective on this series no i see and i agree with that and i and i would say you know if you're bought if you decide you don't like one of the characters then by all means e- email us yeah, yeah. But, but, but but i would suggest you know treat tila treat these characters like real they're not real people i'm not suggesting that but that these are actual attempts to cast into art form what a human personality would actually be. Well, it, it, the show, the you, don't have to, you don't have to like it, but it's art and it is an attempt, uh, a, a, and I would suggest an accurate attempt to 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 say, you know, how, I mean, I mean, and again, I, I would say again, I like these characters immensely, mm-hmm. and their and their motivations make incredible sense to me. Yeah. They may not to you. They may not to you. Watch it. Yeah. Talk to people about it. Like that's art is supposed to do that. Art is supposed to pose questions to you that you've not thought of. That's why we watch this stuff. If it's if it's good, absolutely. So that's some that's some that's that's our line in the sand, audience, about how to interact with art. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The plot. Let's get back. Um, So we're gonna go. We're gonna return to the to the program already in progress where we were talking about the episode. So this is sort of a necessary episode. So after the little vignettes, we 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 get to Duncan and Duncan is we know his man at arms but they don't want to give that to us he's a man shrouded in a cloak and what we're seeing in this episode is magic is really starting to wane in Eternia and that's what this episode is really trying to underscore the stakes of the quest and Duncan ends up coming to the aid of an old man who clumsily spilled magic water which is scarce I guess uh, this, this is one of the last wells where you can get it and Duncan beats uh, is about to he beats up one villager and is about to beat up all of them. But then Triclops and his bastard cult of technocrats uh, descend on this town to destroy their uh, magic well for Lord Holy Sprocket and whatever other members of the triune there are. One thing I noticed in this episode, Jason, and, and you'll appreciate this, Triclops doesn't have different shaped eyes. He's like the original figure. He has yep. just square eyes, but the visor that he wears over his, the, the holy cap that he wears over his head is what shapes the eyes in different ways. Yeah. I yeah. thought that was really clever. That is that is the kind of fan service that people who own the figures and people who read the mini comics understand. Am, am I right? No, I, t- I totally agree. I totally agree. Um. And it, it's a nice moment. And Duncan, Duncan's doing okay. And then, of course, he's about to get hammered because you can only do so much against hundreds of people. But Tila and uh, Evelyn and Andra come to the rescue a little bit. And they're still almost overwhelmed. And this is where we get our first major appearance of Beastman, who has it bad for Evelyn. It's 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 kind of sad. She's not cruel with it, though, I noticed. She doesn't like, she doesn't seem to be encouraging this infatuation that he has with her. So, so I, I 
appreciate that about Evil Lynn. She's she's ethical. She's ethical with this. But Beastman comes and saves the day. And and boy, what a great introduction to Beastman, who, folks, if you watch the filmation show, was a bit of a bumbler. He often got a lot of things wrong and Skeletor delighted, or maybe not delighted in it because he was frustrated, but really, really at least relished calling Beastman all kinds of awful names and, and making fun of Beastman's intellect. Anyway, I thought this was a nice introduction to Beastman as well. Go so out of character for Skeletor to do it. <laughs> as, folks, if you're starting a business and you see... <laughs> Uh, Skeletor's tips for management uh, in the bookstore. That is a book to skip. Terrible manager. But the, 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 the episode brings Tila and Duncan together. And what I like about this is how much Duncan is clearly a parent desperate to win back his daughter's forgiveness. Like, I mean, he kneels before her and apologizes profusely for lying to her and admits that he has done wrong. And Tila, Tila and he are about to have a moment, but Evelyn doesn't have time for this shit. So she's like, come on. On, let's just get moving. We get we don't have time for this. And they try and recruit Duncan, and he won't go because he is also he's kind of where Tila was when we first met her. She's he's he's moved on. He's not trying to help anybody anymore except for his friend who needs the magic water. And this is where we meet. This is where we see what Man in Arms has been occupying himself with since he was banished from Randor's court. And he's taking care of Orko, taking care of Cringer, getting help from his foster or not his foster son. I guess it's just his son, who Roboto, who he designed. Anyway. I, I thought this was a neat, neat vignette, and we we see Orko at a really low moment. Uh, yeah, Orko is really—it's kind of harrowing. We'll build on this yep. because there's a lot to be said about it. Orko, wait, okay. So I have to make a confession now. As a fan of the mini comics and a regular watcher of the cartoon, I did not like Orko. Ever. I I totally agree with you. I detested the presence of Orko. Every other every other piece of the altered mythology I could tolerate. I could tolerate Prince Adam. I actually thought Prince Adam was kind of funny. I still do uh, in the old filmation show. But Orko was such a plot device. I, th- I think that offended me more than the presence of the character because Orko would often be the dramatic lever because some of his for, for the story's adventure because he would he would do some of his magic and and basically plunge our heroes into yet an, uh, you know a life or death kind of struggle because of his bumbling magic uh, use. So I think that bothered me just just how how the writers used him so cavalierly even when they must have known well we've done that we did this in the last three episodes but you know we need some problem and we'll let orko cause it but he was a bit of a bumbler you know i didn't mind him in this in this show i don't mind him in this what do you i i has this show won you over to this interpretation of orko no i'm so we're gonna build on this um if i want to answer your question as a yes that it won me over but I love what they did with Orko and I look forward to talking about what they did with him as we go along. Yes, yes. Well, they they use him here. We, 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 he's the he's somebody we can say. Okay, yeah, I love this too because it, because here, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but he's the representation of the loss of magic in it. Yes. Yeah. Well, his people are magical people. They're called Trollins, uh, as you guys will have heard in, in the super trivia 
second section. Um, he was a figure that was late to the series. It wasn't until like wave three or four, but his people are a magic people from a different dimension. He sort of is, though nobody but Duncan and, and the heroic warriors realize this, he's sort of Eternia's canary in the coal mine. He is feeling the acute effects of Eternia's loss of magic. And he even tr- he tries a little spell to, to show Tila how happy he is to see her. It, of course, fails, which is par for the course. I mean, even when he's full of magic, he is that spell was going to do that even if he was full of magic, what happens in this, in this scene. But, right. but the magic water, I mean, that's why Duncan went to get the magic water because it seems to sustain Orko. But it is it is all the evidence Evil Lynn needs to say, we've got to go. This little buffoon's condition is a perfect illustration of why we have to leave and get on with this mission of, we need Duncan to forge the power sword. I really like his response. He's like, oh, is that all? <laughs> no, quite. So there's something very almost sweet about Duncan and, you know, his devotion to Orko, his his uh, his partnership with Beastman and Beastman's, you know, ability to kind of hang out with him, yeah. you know, at this time period where everything that they were going after is kind of gone. And so you have this kind of shifting allegiances, still temporary. Oh, uh, you know, you know, the things that the things that I once believed in are, are now gone and, and so now but but you get me yeah you know we're gonna be together and so yeah man at arms is or duncan yeah you know is just kind of doing that at this point and and you're and and you're quite right he he's he's a bit skeptical when his his love daughter slash foster daughter shows yeah. up with this mission and he's you know i i guess we're to assume that he's just into this habit of this is my life now this is what i do and yeah, yeah. and and uh yeah she she provides this mission which I would suggest to you, were he a bit younger, he would have bit full into. Well, well, the young. I think that's right. But the younger Duncan Hatton lost Adam. I mean, you get the sense that he's really devastated by that. I was supposed to protect Adam, and I didn't do that. The king's banished me, and now what he can do, what he feels, it seems like what he feels he can do is he can he can hospice Orko, he can hang out with Beastman, and he can hang out with his son Roboto. It's basically uh, in this vignette where it helps Tila over her anger with Duncan because Roboto basically kind of lays out what family is and to to me Roboto is basically saying family is tribe and and it's not necessarily blood but it's who you're bound with by uh, loyalty and duty and friendship and love not that Roboto understands the emotional part of this because he is he does seem to be struggling to try and find his emotions he's a bit data like in that way but that's okay that's okay I don't mind that I I think that's a homage I I, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. I think that was done consciously. That is not a ripoff. No, no. And the other thing too is we we're, we kind of are seeing him. I think he understands emotions better than he thinks he does. That's my that's my hot take on Roboto. But he basically and and, and data for that matter probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but I'll, I'll return to that a little bit in the in in our coverage of episode five. But but yeah, uh, he basically says, well, I know everything Duncan knows, so I'll I'll come forge the sword for you. And Orko says, well, I'm not staying in here either even though orko does seem to be dying um he's like i'm gonna go on this adventure with you as well and uh, go ahead no so isn't it interesting that roboto who is basically man at arms yeah yes the robot version of man at arms he's his son in in quotes yeah but he's basically who man at arms is man he was created to be but he's gonna go Yes. Well, and so, so doesn't that suggest that Duncan truly would have gone? 
it suggests that definitely is exactly right what you said a moment ago that the younger Duncan would have gone and it's also suggesting that the older Duncan wants to go but he's he's sort of hiding from his position as the banished man at arms but it is all of these people saying well we're all going and then he's like well I guess I'll go too and it's at that point though where Tila realizes that well I have two men at arms they can be in I can have them go to different places and she she says you go to protect sorceress this actually will turn out to be a really good choice for Duncan but that's for another episode uh but uh, it is funny when Duncan's like, oh, I'm sorry, what? You just came here to get me and now you're saying I can't go. It's it, This is all very well written. It's all quite funny and touching. And so our heroes are on a boat and after the, after they send Duncan on his way, they go on to the entrance of Subternia. And we have some nice little discussions between Evelyn and Tila. Merman attacks. There's some subtle references. Uh, audience, I, I, I can't claim credit for being the nerd who spot this. I, I think I read this at Screen Rant. There are several episodes of the old filmation show that were written by Paul Dini. Paul Dini would later go on to work for DC and he would later go on to be one of the key creative figures of the Batman the Animated Series and is credited with the creation of Harley Quinzel, Harley Quinn. And what? Yes, yes. So there are several episodes to three Paul Dini rep- episodes written by episodes written by Paul Dini from the filmation show. Now this is important. Audience, fans of Kevin Smith will know where I'm going with right away people who don't will find this incredibly interesting this tidbit of trivia kevin smith's daughter is named harley quinzel smith and he you knew that so you know why he's crediting paul dini here so much with yeah. these with these episodes because he wants to wants to give the guy a little nod and for, for creating a great character and and doing some pretty decent he-man work himself the crystal sea that they're traveling over in the filmation show was an actual field of crystal whereas here it is an actual sea but Anyway, Merman attacks them. Man at Arms demonstrates why Evil Lynn had a bit of a crush on him because he swoops in and saves the day. Devastates uh, Merman's forces. By the way, Merman, I think. Let me let me double check here. Let me double check here. Merman is played by none other than I believe the voice of Batman from the animated series, Kevin Conroy. Yes, that's right, Kevin Conroy. I hope I'm right about that. Watch me be wrong. Let's see here. Was I right? Yes. Oh, good, 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 good. All right, so. Kevin Conroy's Merman. Quick confession audience here for me, Merman was probably one of my favorite figures of the... I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I join you in your confession. He was he was a neat character, neat mini comic story, and just a really good design of the what, what, what would later be called the Aquaticans. He was their master of the universe, I suppose. Anyway, he leads them to the entrance of Subternia, and then we enter Subternia in a kind of a neat, pretty ominous scene where they raise the gate this attorney and we begin our real moment of greek mythology in the next episode absolutely which since it's, it's in the same episode of max and jason watch a movie we can just slip right into yeah and this is where i would kind of double down on what i said about the kind of homerian aspect i guess before we go on let me read to the audience a wonderful synopsis of the episode oh, four yes. Land of I, Dead. Oh uh, yeah, I I I forgot about the format change. Yes, yes, yes. Well, this is just for this episode. <laughs> Separated from her companions in Subternia, Tila faces a sinister entity who offers her half of the sword of power in exchange for her fears. Scareglow is that character. We don't meet him right away, but this episode, Land of the Dead, might be my favorite episode. 
Sidebar of Super Trivia for Masters of the Universe, Episode 4. There's only one major new character in this episode. His name is Scareglow. He came out in 1987 and he was part of Wave 6. He's one of my favorite of the later characters. He glowed in the dark, looked kind of scary. Anyway, so into the sidebar of Super Trivia. So, uh, your reading of that was so good. <laughs> I almost did a beep after you finished so that people in their in their record book knew to turn the page to the next <laughs> aspect of the story. That was really good. Thank you, thank you. I, I, I some, for some reason my handwriting was was legible that time, and I could get through it. But this is this this episode really drove home that Odyssey that 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 Odyssey aspect of the film that that Greek myth mythology aspect of the film where our heroes had to go to the land of the dead now they don't have to get on the river sticks they do have to do an interesting spell but that happened in the last episode and i think it's actually I, I think the imagery here is is very eerie and very it's all very greek mythy i think hades uh, is a is a in greek mythology and even actually more so than other paradises i think i've always found that the greek idea of the afterlife whether you went to the elysian fields or you ended up in hades i've always found them to be kind of eerie places. Do you get that sense? There, there's very, something unnerving about them. Very, very earthy. Yes. Eerie places. Yeah. Um, um, they're very human places. And you definitely get that here. Now, do know that in the Odyssey, Odysseus does go to the underworld. He does, yeah, yeah. And he does meet many of the heroes and so forth. Now, I want to say that Virgil depicted Aeneas doing that in the Aeneid, but I've not read the Aeneid, so if anyone wants to email us and tell me that I'm wrong, which I'm not used to being... <laughs> Please do so. No. Uh, but and, and, and Max will encourage you. I, I mean, you are quite right that there is there is very much a very Greek element to this trip to Subternia. Uh, and it does affect the imagination quite a bit. Yes, yes. Now, yeah. now in the Odyssey, Odysseus has to go to the underworld to get information. Audience, I have to credit Jason here for making me pull the trigger and finally read. I was gosh, how old was I? I was in my 40s, early 40s. I'm in my 40s now. But early 40s, late 30s, when I finally tackled the Odyssey and the Iliad. And it, Jason had been beating me over the head with those, the, the the astral form of those books in his praise of them for years. And it was he and my daughter, actually, who got me over the literary hump, I suppose. But she'd read the Odyssey in high school and she found it to be quite compelling. So I went ahead and like, well, if two people I respect this much say I should read them i should read them and so when odysseus goes to the underworld and he sees his mother and has to talk to her that is a horror it's one of my favorite moments in that in that part of the adventure but it's also very harrowing and very scary bitter it's not quite sweet but it's it's a sad sad moment and i sort of have some of those feelings through a lot of this this subternia experience but before we move on another hero who had to go to the underworld is jason is one of jason and i's favorite Greek heroes, and that's Hercules. Yes. He went to the underworld. Jason, do you remember why he went to the underworld? What, what, what caused those adventures? It wasn't part of his labors, I don't think, was it? Yes, I believe it was. Oh, I was it? Okay. He had to capture Cerberus. Mm. And he, well, he, has, he has a lot of adventures and uh, and all eerie things. Uh, Hades doesn't keep an inviting home. 
Uh, no, so, not at all. And this Scareglow reminds me, well, gosh, his introduction is amazing. And I, I, I don't want to get ahead of us. Our heroes make it into Subternia. And at, at first, it seems very much like an old cave, like a dungeon crawl. They're going to go through a dark cave. They've got lights. Tila has her Utila sword. What, that, that thing that does, I love it, but it does everything. But but very quickly, the ruler or just the nature of Subternia, they're all separated in very specific and intentional ways by whatever force guides Subternia, don't you think? Yeah. So Tila's left by herself. Our two magical beings, Evil Lynn and Orko, are paired off. And then yes. we have our, I guess our catch-all, our tech people, and uh, and and our warrior, I guess who is Beast Man. And they all have to deal with something harrowing in the, in Subternia. Tell me what you thought of this, this, this kind of combination of so many rich mythologies that, that, that get expressed in Eternian language. So I, I, I actually had to watch this twice, and I'm still not certain my conclusion, but I, I see that as a credit to the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think that Tila, I think that Tila as the strong personality is put in a position of challenge. Orko and Evil Lynn are put in a position where they have to confront the loss of magic. And then the two sort of figures of action, both flesh and blood and mechanical, you know, are put in a different situation. Yeah. But obviously, uh, I mean, he, I mean, even though this is not true for the end of the episode, because Orko is, excuse me, is um, is very important. Yeah. Here. But I, I actually think that that Tila, her experience is the primary focus of this episode. It's the psychological focus of this episode. And I think it's kind of a very modern kind of kind of interpretation of the underworld. Yes. You just talked about the Odyssey and Odysseus gathering all of this information about what he needs to know and, and, and you know, talking to his mother and, you know, he talks to Achilles and all this kind of um, And then you talk- Cover your heels, Odysseus. Cover your heels. I promise you it's yeah, going to yeah, work yeah. out. And, and, and then you talk about Hercules and how um, Hercules has to go down and uh, um, accomplish all these tasks that are all about overcoming. They're about overcoming somebody. Yes. Tila, in a certain way, has to... Conf- uh, okay, now, I actually... And I want to add something. Dante, the Divine Comedy, uh, uh, when he... Uh, in the Inferno, when he is in the Christian version of Hell. Dante is, for the most part, an observer. He's observing what other people are going through, okay? That's not what this is. No. Tila is confronted with her fear, and how she deals with that is going to decide how things go forward. Orko and Evelyn, they have their own adventure that is actually very important, and it will be seen as very important in a moment. But Tila has to confront something, and she has to confront her fear. And I think what we're supposed to get out of this is it's the fear of her own power. So this is very interesting. I think that this is a scene that is very pregnant with meaning. Yes. Because it because initially she fights He-Man. Yes. And I I I'm still reflecting on that. Well, it's 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 an interesting moment. So the two things that I think that are major that happen here is the arc of Evil Lynn, which is secondary as you say, but it's an important 
Stark. And it also, it does so much to make Orko an interesting and compelling and dramatic character. Yeah. We get a compelling Orko, which if you told me we were going to get a compelling Orko when we first heard about the series, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here with that nonsense. Yeah, you right. Know? You can't make Orko compelling, but holy shit. We get, we get, even in there were hints of compelling stuff, even in the filmation show. But here we see these two people and it's almost like one wonders if Subternia is controlled completely by the entity at the heart of Tila's drama or if Subternia has its own agenda because there's a lot that happens that I think is worth talking about. And we'll do that in a minute, I think, with Evelyn and Orko. But but I want to put that I want to put that in the audience's mind that there's something important that goes on there and we'll come back to it in a minute. But, but yeah. what you said about Tila is right, but it's leaning in on something that was hinted at in the filmation show that was hinted at in the comic books that Tila has a destiny that is going that is as profound this was laid this this groundwork was laid in the filmation show Tila has a destiny that she doesn't know about but that she feels deep in her must that is there but the show is building up that storyline that we never really got in the filmation show the show was canceled before we could we could get a good Tila arc in there not that there were arcs in the filmation show and, uh, and and not that they were aiming for that uh, in spite of cancellation. Exactly, exactly. No, absolutely, absolutely. But they drop these hints about Tila, and they drop hints all throughout this series. Several characters already up to this point have tried to tell Tila the last secret that she doesn't know. Yeah. How, earlier in the episode, in the very first episode, Sorceress says, Tila, I, I wanted to see you. And Tila's like, what the fuck? Why? And then in, in the second episode, Sorceress again tries to tell Tila the final revelation. Evelyn says, no, we don't have time for this. We got to go. And in, in the last episode, Duncan tries to explain it. And he's left with the with the, with the the ominous line, I felt, which is, well, a story for another time, is what he says. I worry that Duncan's not going to get to tell her that story for another time. But in, in this episode, Scareglow, sorry, so everybody, Scareglow is the big bad in this episode. And he is so well done. He never appeared in the filmation show. He was a late generation figure. I think it was like wave six or wave five, not the most gim gimmicky of the action figures, but he never made an appearance in the filmation show. Well, I I, um, I want to ask an, kind of an aside question, uh, because by the time Scareglow came out, I wasn't collecting the figures. Yeah. I didn't have any mini comics about him. Are you aware of anything about his story? He's supposed to, I, I, I've read that he's supposed to be, a, he was originally conceived of as a ghost, I guess, maybe a ghost of Skeletor. I can't remember. I'll try and look something up. Before Which would, now in now in this story that would work it would and it's interesting too because when Tila sees Scareglow's face now Scareglow has a skull face too now he may be a, a being like Skeletor from Skeletor's dimension which is just like down on skin for faces I don't know <laughs> but whenever he's emotionally uh, uh I guess aroused curious or what whenever his emotions are up the bones in his body glow through his skin um it's a really clever effect and they do it really well and he's really intrigued by Tila because he seems to be a being who feeds on fear and his offer to Tila when he finally appears and he leads her down this path he's like I'll give you this half of the sword it's fine but I need you to give me your fear he seems to feed on fear and she agrees like the dutiful soldier and she gets she gets 
sent into a very scary area of subternium where she has to confront her fears and reveal her fears. And as Jason said a minute ago, the first thing she faces is He-Man and He-Man says some awful things to her. He's got red eyes. He's quite mean to her. We'll find out that that's basically Scareglow trying to bring her fears out. But yeah. in that fight, he comes to realize that that's not her fear. Her fear is this unknown portion of herself that she recognizes is very powerful. And she recognizes that this might represent an incredible change in her life that will change. Well, the, 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 the power in her is meant for a high purpose and it will probably change her life. And we get the sense, I got the sense anyway, that she was very scared of that, that moment where she would have to accept her power, whatever's whatever's inside her. And so I got the sense that, that Kevin Smith is playing with this mythology. So folks in the filmation show and, and in some of the comics, uh, and we mentioned this, I think in earlier shows, Tila is somehow related to the sorceress. I don't know how they're going to do it in this show. In I know in some iteration she's a clone, and but in any in any event, she in the Mike Young series, the two thousand early two thousand He Man series, Tila is the daughter of Sorceress and Fisto of all people. Oh, wow. Fisto, Fisto is actually Duncan's brother, and when Fisto leaves uh, to hide away, I can't remember the details of this plot, but Duncan basically assumes uh, you know picks up the slack and raises Tila for whatever reason. I can't remember why Fisto has to leave, but he does and pops up later on in, in the Mike Young series. So I don't know how Kevin Smith is going to play it out, but Tila is going to be a being of, of great importance to Eternia's protection. You know, that's my guess, or that's the choice she's going to be offered. And and we're beginning to see the big, we're, we're seeing the beginning of that, that arc here. Maybe Tila moving into the role of sorceress. I don't know. I don't know where that goes yet, but, but is there anything you want to say about that before we touch on the Orco Hila and Orco Evil Lynn stuff. I, I I do not. I think you said everything that needs to be said about yeah. it. I almost feel like that I've learned things from you about it. I I think you nailed the character development perfectly. Oh, thanks, thanks. I appreciate no, it. It's very and 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 I think this is probably the central conflict, discovery, journey of the hero moment of this series. Yeah. Well, see, and I think that that's kind of interesting because they hit like I said they hinted at it in the filmation show they hinted at this in the they did more than hint at this in the minicom and they've and they've touched on it in many of the different iterations of the He-Man comic books over the years but when in the filmation show we don't get Adam's hero's journey we don't know why sorcerers picked him or, or gave him the power sword or what characters he's already undergone his journey to becoming He-Man when the show starts mm -hmm. amazing secrets were revealed to me when I picked up my sword of power that story's already told we don't get it it's interesting that kevin smith has said well this is the story we haven't gotten this is a hero's journey i can tell we already know adam is a great guy they will underscore that with several thick black lines in the in the next episode about what a great guy adam is but but we haven't seen tila's journey we never got that completion uh, in, in the filmation show so I, I like this idea but also what we never got was a compelling orca we get it here it's interesting that evil land of all people finds common ground with Orko and in their love of magic and what she sees in him I get the sense that she sees some of herself in him they don't ever explain that they don't they don't, they don't spell that out explicitly in this episode but Orko has some trouble developing magic he's he's sort of he's got the dyslexia of magic I sense and but he's clearly a powerful sorcerer and evil Lynn I think sees some of that and she I think what she sees in him is that he was beaten down not physically, but just by negative comments from his
his parents, from his peers, from the mages of Chala, where he's from. So you've watched probably more episodes just in retrospect, yeah, you know, than I did of the film. Was there were there many episodes that ever talked about Orko's origins? Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the ways they sort of explain some of his problems with magic, of course, is that he wasn't in his own dimension where he was, where he was a little more capable, but he was never a very, he was never a very adroit mage, even, uh, even on his, even in his home dimension, because there were other, there were other Trollans who came to Eternia who could do all the magic just as well as they could on, in their dimension. So Orko has a problem of some kind. They also reveal his, the roots of his name. And I don't know if this was done in the series. I, I can't, I don't think it was but Orko was given a name that he mispronounced as a young child and his mispronunciation was what his family stuck with when it was clear that he wasn't going to be like a, a guy like Mozart with magic right he wasn't just going to pick yeah. it up right away and go well said. and so the name that he was supposed to be given was Oracle but he couldn't he didn't he didn't even command English very well which is not surprising he's crawling so Evil Lynn sees a lot of there's a lot of sympathy in Evil Lynn that I thought was kind of interesting that she, she grants Orko and she she says to him too she kind of offers her philosophy of that and she's like you just got to take what you want you know you can't let your people you can't let people beat you down but you especially can't let your friends and those close to you tell you that you're not good enough to do x y or z she is a very i i get the sense that she had sort of a hard life and it's an interesting it's i i think that they, they have similar they have similar objections <laughs> laughing about something i've said here no because i got that sense too look who she used to work with <laughs> that's right that's right you don't you don't put up with that kind of thing if you if you if you if you're used to uh if you're used to good bosses and good people around you but you get the sense that she found magic and that was her way out of wherever she was and it's interesting it's just interesting that these two found each other and she offers him some encouraging words about his magic uh, which I thought was kind of cool and uh, she sees a lot of potential in him needless to say they're all in a world of trouble because Subternia is a dangerous place the Andra Roboto Beastman story is sort of funny they're solving a very basic problem just fighting a lot of bad guys while Tila right. Tila does her thing. And it's what, what's unclear to me, and I, I find Subternia kind of interesting, is because I don't know why Subternia grants Evil Lynn and Orko so much time to bond. Hmm. It's an interesting, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing that happens. And I and I, I I'm sure there are a bunch of different ideas about why they might have been able to do that, but it doesn't last forever. And they're they're stuck in a in a trollin uh simulation. I, I have a half-baked idea. Let's hear it. So uh I think we've quite rightly talked about this as the Greek underworld. But if you read Dante's Purgatorio, you know, the purgatory, mm -hmm. it's a place where people who are imperfect are able to obtain information that they didn't get. Ah. Right? I, I'm So I'm a big fan of Divine Comedy. I think the Inferno is awesome. Anybody should read it. I think the Purgatorio is underrated and the Paradiso is kind of boring. But I, I, I actually, when you say that, because I've actually resisted the temptation to bring in Dante to what we're talking about yeah. because this is so Greek and, and you're we both agree on that but th there's kind of a Dante kind of element yeah this underworld because there's the possibility of teaching okay yeah, yeah. well and so and, and, and that's clearly what happens for both Evelyn and Orko they both learn things that allow them to overcome certain I guess mental blocks that they're experiencing and it is the first time Tila I'm not sorry it's the first time Evelyn begins to see 
see another path for herself. I don't think she's admitted that to herself yet. Yes. But Orko is the first, well, Tila is the first, uh, but that happened way back in the filmation series. But Orko is the first time we see her emotionally bonding with a hero. Yes. And and this is continuing that story, that, that arc that I said we began in is episode two. So at the end of the day, Tila decides though, we're going to go back to the Tila part of this. And that is Tila decides that, yeah, I'm scared and I have these fears. And to Scareglow, she's like, but I own them. You can't have them. You can't have my power. And she begins to manifest some of that power for the first time. And it's pretty dramatic. And she drives yes. Scareglow back. And basically because she's unafraid, she, she accepts that she has a lot of power and she accepts that it's okay that she doesn't know what that means for herself. And yeah. that seems to deprive Scareglow of all of his power. And she's basically able to cast him down, smote his ruin upon the interior of the mountainside. And basically that 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 saves everybody from their uh, their own trials in Subternia. Not before each of the heroes that aren't with Tila have good moments. Tila and Orko drive back a great shadow beast, Roboto and and Andra and and Beastman. Though not Beastman didn't really help drive these guys back, but Andra and Roboto put their brains together and they did it. Um and that was it was all pretty cool. And then suddenly they're all together again. Tila, I'm sorry, I keep doing that. Evil Lynn basically opens the door to Paternia at this moment. And they're almost through when they when they have a final encounter with Scareglow, which is the emotional heart of the episode. I thought that the when I was watching the show, I thought that the Tila moment was the star of the show where she's like, no, I keep my power. But Scareglow looks like he's about to catch them and have them as part of his collection. Yeah. When Orko takes what Evil Lynn taught him and she and I'm sorry, and he holds and binds Scareglow in a really harrowing bit of magic battle. Orko's clearly spinning the last of his energy. And what's really cool about this scene, I think, is that Evil Lynn tries to help Orko. Yes. And and the only reason why she's unable to do it is because uh, of the magic that's, that's uh, magic is fleeting in at this moment in Eternia because of what happened in the first episode. And she basically passes out. She hurts herself trying to help Orko. And Beastman snatches her up because Beastman is in love with her. And there's nothing that Evil Lynn can do in this condition. And he, I mean, he picks that up pretty quick. And the sadness and regret on Evil Lynn's face when Orko, oh, sorry, when Beastman rushes out with her is really well done. It's really yeah. genuine. Evil yeah. Lynn has found a friend in Orko, and there's a real sadness when she just can't do anything. And so they all get blown into the next into the next part of the adventure, which is Paternia, which is the Elysian Fields. And the fellowship is about to sunder right here because Tila's mad that Evil Lynn couldn't save Orko. And if Tila's being a bit more, if she would have been a bit more introspective, she also didn't save Orko. And Orko did say, go. I mean, he basically said, go, it's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with this. I got this. This show uses Orko better than oh. I could have possibly imagined. No, there was, like I said, no, I was I was floored by this, by this moment and this reveal and this backstory for Orko. I loved it. And But, but they hear a voice from their past in the Elysian Fields, and it's Adam. Prince Adam makes his appearance, and that's the end of episode four. Is there anything you want to say in closing here, in, in closing out on episode four that we need to mention that you think you want audiences to particularly key in on? I don't think so, except just for the fact that 
I think that up to this point, you know, if you followed the series up to this point, there's only one episode to go from the first season. But if you follow the series up to this point, what you have gotten is mythology at its very best. And what I would suggest is that this is what I wanted, Jason, in 1981. Absolutely. When I was eight years old and I first heard about all this stuff and I was like, wow, that sounds great. You know, skeleton villain, you know, guy with the power sword. Now, it's quite true that He-Man and Skeletor, who were the characters that I was enamored by, were both killed in the first episode. Yeah, yeah. But we are now through four episodes. We have one to go before we close out this season in our next episode. And I would like to say that without He-Man and Skeletor, this series up to this point captures better than almost anything what my eight-year-old mind I I can't add anything to that. No, I mean, like, even though we haven't had wall-to-wall Skeletor and He-Man, we have had wall-to-wall good Masters of the Universe storytelling. And and we've had the two halves of the Sword of Power. And what more could you ask for? All right, folks, I guess that's it for this episode, right, Jason? Yes. All right, so uh, watch the shows, re-watch them. I continue to go back to these shows. I think I've watched the series, like, three times now. And I'm seeing new things as an old He-Man fan. And, and, and tell us what you think. You know, really, really reach out to us. Uh, some of you listeners know where to find me on Facebook. I can be found at The Supper Test on Twitter. The option is still there to reach us at lordmovies39 uh, gmail.com. Uh, though all I get is spam in that account. And so we'll see you next week. And that's all I got. Bye. Art is supposed to do that. Art is supposed to pose questions to you that you've not thought of. That's why we watch this stuff. If it's... Yeah.